Have you ever had that really frustrating experience of finding something that is so difficult to uncover? Like you've taken out an insurance policy and you're trying to figure out exactly what it is that you're insured against and what circumstances could befall you and you'd still be covered. Only when you read the policy, you realize that it's just words on words on words, clauses on top of clauses. There are references to parts of the document which are actually different documents. And trying to get to the bottom of it all is an absolute nightmare. My guess is that for everyone watching today, we've all had that experience of installing software on our computer. And what we've done is instead of taking the three and a half hours it would require to read all the terms and conditions of the end user agreement, we've just clicked agree. We've just skipped right to the end and thought to ourselves, who's got time for that? We've just hoped or assumed that the terms are agreeable and fingers crossed nothing's going to come back and bite us. Perhaps you've had a similar sort of feeling when it comes to the Bible. That there's this level of frustration that exists. A frustration about how long it is. How unclear it is sometimes. Even perhaps a frustration with Jesus himself and the way that he speaks. The way that he teaches. The way that... Everything seems to be a mystery, locked inside a puzzle that's wrapped itself inside an enigma. Maybe it isn't just with the text of the Bible, the things that we read, but the very notion of Christianity itself. Why is it so hard to believe if it's true? If God is God, why doesn't he make it more obvious? Why doesn't he make it more clear? Why does he have to make it so that it's in a book at all? Why depend so heavily on the church to get the word out? Why not just turn up himself and show us he's real? Well, we're going to look at an occasion this morning, an occasion in the life of Jesus when his followers come to him with almost exactly that question when his closest friends pull him to one side and they ask him why he's making things so difficult to understand. And I think and I hope by looking at his answer and by considering what we're like generally as human beings, we might find some assistance in answering our own question of why God doesn't make things so much more obvious to each of us. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathering around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood at the shop. Then he told many things in parables saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. 
other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why do you speak to the people in parables? Often in life, it is hard to see things unless you are specifically looking for them. Let me give you an example. I live in Amford, which itself is very close to Llandailo. And I remember the first time I visited Dinevor Castle in Llandailo. The first time I visited it, I didn't even know that it existed. I was in my mid to late 20s, and despite the fact that I'd grown up pretty nearby, despite the fact that every single school day for seven years I'd driven through Llandailo, despite all of that, I'd never once come across that castle in my entire life. Why? Well, no one had told me about it for a start, but more importantly, because I'd never gone looking for it. In one sense, it was totally and utterly hidden. From the road we used to travel on through Llandailo to get to school, it was on the opposite side of a large hill, a large hill that was covered in trees, and so my view was obscured. But in another sense, it, it's not hidden at all. If you've ever been to Dinevra Castle, you will see that, like most other castles on Wales, it is perched right on the top of a large hill. From miles around, it can be seen and it can see everywhere else. There's no camouflage, there's no disguise, there's just great, huge stones piled on top of each other, bricks and mortar cobbled together for everyone to be able to come and see. You see, my first visit to Dinevor Castle, as I said, was in my mid to late 20s, and it reveals a truism about life, about you and about me. The truism is this, that unless we're looking for something, most of the time we just don't see it. Truism number one, unless we are looking for something, most of the time we just don't see it. Matthew chapter 13 when Jesus begins telling this parable of seeds being scattered in the field. It comes hot on the heels of chapters 11 and chapters 12 of Matthew's Gospel, which includes story after story after story of different people and different groups of people encountering Jesus and doubting him. Of people meeting Jesus and then rejecting him. No matter how clear, no matter how obvious he makes himself, it's story after story of people who ultimately don't want to know. It's these encounters that lead to rejection, which actually reveal to us another truism, truism number two. And that's this, when we're confronted with a truth that requires us to shift our entire thinking, 
to shift how we view the entire world all in one space and time, the most natural reaction we have is simply to reject it flat out. When we're confronted with something which is so drastically different to how we viewed ourselves and the world for so long, we normally just say, no thank you, and turn the other way. As human beings, we are exceedingly difficult to shift on something which we've held to be true for a long time. We're incredibly stubborn when it comes to changing our minds about something, especially something we see as being important. There's even the phenomenon that when we really, really hold on to something, when somebody presents truth of the opposite to us, we can flip that proof and we can use it as proof for the thing that we already believed. It's with these two ideas and these two truisms that I want us to go back to that question that the disciples asked. The truisms of, unless we're looking for something, we don't tend to see it. And truism that when we have our minds set on one thing, we are incredibly difficult to turn around in the other way. They came and they asked Jesus the question, why parables? Why mystery? Why enigma and puzzles? Surely, we'd reason, perhaps you already have out loud, this disciples certainly were, surely straight, plain speaking would achieve the best results. If you want the crowds to hear, if you want the crowds to understand, if you want to have these crowds not just gather to catch a glimpse, but to follow you, Jesus, just tell it like it is. In the Gospels, the stories of Jesus's ministry, there is an occasion when Jesus does speak really plainly to his followers. Um, we as a church have been going through Christianity Explored and we encountered this the other day. It's in Mark chapter 8 near the end and Peter has just made one of the most remarkable declarations in all of the Gospels. Jesus has asked him and the other disciples who people in general think that Jesus is but specifically who they think Jesus is and Peter has said with absolute crystal clarity you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the long-promised rescuer and saviour. You'd think at this moment, Peter, having seen and understood quite a lot, and also being favourably disposed to accepting what Jesus has to say, would hear some straight teaching and accept it, no questions asked. This is how that encounter goes. Jesus, having heard Peter's declaration, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and that after three days he must rise again. He spoke plainly about this. There were no parables here. There was just Jesus speaking truth to his disciples. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. When Jesus turned 
and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said this, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's like in one sense baffling to read that encounter. How could Peter be so dim? How could he be so daft? He'd apparently seen so much. Jesus was speaking so plainly to him, but he decides that he's going to take the role of the teacher and tell Jesus that he's speaking absolute nonsense. Everything that you've just said ain't going to happen. It's not the case. He doesn't just reject what Jesus has to say. He scolds him for it. You see, speaking plainly does not always, does not often yield the sorts of results that we might expect because, let's not forget, unless we're looking for something, we very rarely see it. And when we hold a view, we're very difficult to to be forced to change our minds. So why parables then? Well, let's listen in on Jesus's answer, picking it up in verse 11 of Matthew 13. Why do you speak to the people in parables. Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you and not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken away from them. This is why I'm speaking in parables, that though seeing, they do not see. That though hearing, They do not hear nor understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Even in answering the question, why do you make things so complicated and difficult, Jesus? He doesn't give a straight and easy answer, does he? It isn't straightforward or clear on first investigation why Jesus speaks in parables. But let me make an attempt at explaining it in a short and clear way. This is Jesus's answer in a nutshell. Most people, most people aren't looking. Most people aren't listening. No matter what I say, truism number one and truism number two are still gonna reign supreme. The vast, vast, vast majority of people are more than happy to carry on living their lives in the dark. You know, there's nothing special about the disciples in that sense. In fact, even as he describes them as people who have been given the the secret knowledge, uh, they seem to be, if you read the Gospels, they seem to be people who time and time again don't understand. They just don't get it. But they are people who are listening. They are people who are paying attention. They are people who want to know more, who want to know Jesus more. Have you ever had that experience of talking to someone 
and that someone isn't listening. I don't know, maybe I'm doing that right now. Most of the time, you'd be better off saving your breath, wouldn't you? Have you ever had that experience of trying to show someone something, um, but they're not paying attention? Most of the time, you'd be better off not wasting your energy. You know, it's really hard for us to confront the reality that most of the time, we simply don't want to know the truth. The reason we don't is because we've got hard hearts. Our hearts don't want to know the answers. We don't actually want to be led into truth. We're happy in the circumstances and the situation and our perception of the world as we are right now. We don't want to go through the trauma of having our whole worlds turned upside down. We don't want to put ourselves in that place of having to admit that we were wrong our entire lives. No one really wants to be in that position. And that, Jesus says, is why he spoke in parables. Klein uh, Snodgrass, an author, a theologian who has written extensively on parables, on the parables of Jesus. He takes note of this when he's attempting to answer that question of why Jesus uses parables. This is what he writes, and I think this sums it up so wonderfully. Direct communication, he writes, that is just passing on information. Direct communication is important, but learning is more than information intake. Especially if the learner is someone who thinks that they already understand. People who are entrenched in their current understanding set their defences against direct communication. Truism number two. When we think we already know the truth, we hunker down. We batten down the hatches and we do not want to hear any different. But indirect communication, the sort of communication we find in the parables where Jesus is teaching the truth, but it's in a concealed, it's in a roundabout, it's, it's, in, a, it's in a veiled sort of way. Indirect communication finds a way in through the back window to confront a person's view of reality. A parable's ultimate aim is to draw in the listener to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience and to move to action. Jesus's parables are prophetic instruments, he writes, that are used to get God's people to stop and to reconsider their way of viewing reality and ultimately to change their behaviour. That's from his book called stories with intent. It's all about the parables of Jesus. But do you catch his drift? That often Jesus's indirect way of speaking to people was an intentional, an intentional veiling that he used in order to bypass our well-trained defenses and to help us, to encourage us to be a people who are seeking out and searching the answers. That Jesus speaking in parables, that the, the Bible as a whole often being complicated and complex and confusing, that does it by achieving two things. 
that those who aren't searching, it, it piques their interest. We recognize that there's something in these stories, there's something in this book, that there's more to be discovered. That in fact, the complexity, the veiledness of it all piques our interest and makes us become people who are looking, searching for something. Secondly, it helps us to ponder. It helps us to contemplate without our defences being raised up. When Jesus speaks in, in this indirect way, when he's not clear and straight to the point, it gives us the time, gives us the space to, to change our minds, to change our beliefs without butting heads up against walls all the time. When you think about it, Jesus speaking, communicating in this way, God giving us a book, a story, a, a, an interwoven tale of lives and his input spanning centuries. It's a really gracious way of God and Jesus trying to communicate with us because it whets our appetite and it stops us from raising our defences. But here's a question that we all need to ask now, this morning. Where does that leave us? Perhaps we can maybe go along with what I've said and understand a little bit the, the thinking, the rationale behind what Jesus is doing. But where ultimately does it leave us? Well, let me just take you to one more teaching of Jesus where he is pretty direct. Jesus told us, that anybody who seeks will find. That to anyone who knocks, the door will be open to you. That's Jesus's promise to anyone who is willing to investigate. To anyone whose um, curiosity is piqued enough to start rolling these things over in their minds. The answer, Jesus says, is not. It is never beyond us. Come with me again back to Denever Castle, that first time that I discovered it. it. You know, I was in the car park, I had the map up on my phone, the GPS, and I could not believe that there was a castle less than half a mile away from where I was getting out of my car. I couldn't see it. I was amazed that in, in spite of being so close for so long, in spite of having a genuine interest and passion for Welsh castles I'd never been told about it before, I couldn't believe that there was a castle so nearby. I was flabbergasted almost to the point of frustration with the whole situation. But I went along anyway. The, the mere claim that this existed so close, but in, in a sense so far, piqued my interest. So I followed the footpath, the signs that uh, led me supposedly to the castle as it weaved its way through the fields and the forest, taking me one way and then in the next moment seemingly taking me entirely in the different direction. It wasn't easy, it was a steep climb to get there, but boy, let me just say, as a side note, it was beautiful. 
you have to walk through the woods that hide it from the direction of the car park and if the time is right then that forest floor is absolutely covered, coated in bluebells. I followed that path, I, I walked that path, the confusing path up a steep gradient and then at last I saw the castle. I arrived. Jesus doesn't want us to stay in the dark. God does not want us to stay ignorant of who he is, of who we are, of what he has done to bring those things together in Jesus. He doesn't want us to stay in the dark. He wants us to see. He wants us to find, he wants us to knock, and he is keen to answer. Now, this isn't just a word to those of you who are watching who don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, then the word is this, seek him. Seek him honestly. Open your eyes, open your ears. There are answers in God's word. There are answers in God's people, there are answers in God's creation. If you are seeking, you will find. This is a word to Christians as well. This is true for people the entirety of their Christian lives. The truth is, coming to see who Jesus truly is, to, to trust in him, to hope in him, to have your faith in him, doesn't make the Bible obvious or easy. It's still complicated, it's still confusing, it's still challenging to the way that we like to see ourselves and the world around us. But the point is this. The point is that we don't see it all at once. The point is that we're supposed to be people who are always seeking. That we're supposed to be people who are always searching. And it's a beautiful, fruitful, journey, just like my trip to Dinevra Castle. If you couldn't tell, I'd recommend going there. But I'd recommend so much more. A life's journey of exploring and investigating Jesus, of coming to his word, of being confused, of being com um, confused and uh, misunderstanding what he says, but still coming back the next day to learn coming back day after day after day to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Not all that information downloaded once in a moment and you've got it, but a life of searching and finding, of knocking and having the door open to you. And I encourage you, wherever you are on that journey, whether you are in a state of total disbelief on one end or acceptance on the other keep going. Be people who keep exploring. There is truth and his name is Jesus and his desire is for you to know him more. Let me pray to finish. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who reveals. We thank you that you are a God who speaks and shows. Lord, we might come up with our schemes of how we want that to look, how we want that to be, but you know us far, far better than we know ourselves. Most of the time, Lord, we aren't looking. Most of the time we aren't searching and we're never going to see. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who piques our curiosity, that you whet our appetite, 
that you make it so that we want to go exploring to find the truth. It's not really hidden. Lord, I thank you that you recognise how stubborn we are, how unwilling, even when the truth is right there before our very eyes, how prone we are just to turn completely in the opposite direction and keep walking our own way. Lord, I thank you for the parables. I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for the fact that we come to faith in Jesus 2,000 years down the line through men and women who are fragile and flawed, sharing their own experiences of who Jesus is and what he has done in their lives. I thank you for that. I pray that you would be a God who makes us a seeking and a searching people. Not just for a moment, not just for a day, but our entire lives. And I thank you for your promise to us in your word that when we seek, we will find. When we knock, you will answer. Lord, we can seek with hope, with great expectation that you are a God who wants to reveal, that you are a God who shines light into darkness. And Lord God, I pray that our lives would be bathed in Jesus's wonderful light. Amen.